Man, that was great. Good to see you guys this morning. How are you doing? Good. You awake? Man, it's kind of hard to follow up what I've already experienced this morning. Uh, man, Dr. Getch, it's kind of morbid, isn't he? I mean, he wants to look back and watch the presence of God removed from this earth. That just kind of concerned me a little bit. I was just a little, I mean, he wants to look and be like, what's up? That's right. We figured it out. Oh, man, that concerns me. And then a shark. We weren't that immature, were we, when, when I was here? I don't think so. I mean, we also sat in the front, too, kind of filled in the seats. So I, I'm a little concerned today. I'm just kidding. It's awesome to be here, and I'm excited to spend some time in the Word with you. I, I just got to uh, just say, uh, I, I apologize. I've got a bit of an eye infection. You guys in the front can probably see it, and I'm super self-conscious about it. So please don't. No photos today, all right? Can you help me with that? Uh, it was Easter Sunday. How many of you went to church on Easter? All right, okay, good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so I woke up Easter morning and my eye was like partially closed, you know, which is kind of a big deal when you're pastoring a church and you have all these people coming and you're worried. And I, for the life of me, I've been trying to figure out how I got this eye infection. Anyone else have an eye infection today? Come on. Okay, all right. All right, I'm the only one. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel kind of dumb, actually. Uh, so I've got this infection. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm telling my wife, I'm like, how did I get this thing? I'm careful. I don't want to get sick. You know, we had Easter Sunday. I knew I was coming down here. I don't want to look like some sort of, you know, just messed up guy. And, and I've got this infection, and I'm trying to figure out how in the world did I get this infection. Well, Sunday, I walk into my bathroom at my house, okay? And this is like reserved for me and my wife, right? Uh, you, hopefully, you've got one like that, too. Maybe you've got your own. I don't know. And I go in there. <laughs> And my nine-year-old son, Owen, I have four boys, my nine-year-old son, Owen, who was dealing with an ear infection where this yellow goo was coming out of his ear constantly. Maybe some of you have that same problem. And it was just constantly coming out. I walk into my bathroom and I see my nine-year-old son cleaning out his ear with my hand towel. My face towel. The one that I have been cleaning my eyes with <laughs> for the last week. Maybe not the last week, last few days. So I figured out that's where I got my eye infection. And I just wanted to share that with you today because I highly recommend children. So anyway. <laughs> now that's the only thing some of you are going to remember today, and that's okay, I guess. Um, but I'm excited to share the Word of God with you. So let's take our Bibles and let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. I hope you'll come out to that. Canada uh, is a country that I love. Um, I was born there. I was raised there. I lived in the U.S. for a while, but I went back as soon as I can because I knew from the time I was 18 that God was leading me to plant a church in the inner city of Vancouver. And so it's been exciting to be a part of actually seeing a dream and a vision become a reality. And I, I look forward to sharing that with you on Thursday night. And uh, I hope you'll come out for that as I share my burden for our country as well. It's a, it's a great place that has a real need uh, for the gospel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 15 uh, this morning, and uh, the title of my message uh, today is The Downfall of a King, or if you want to subtitle it, The Downfall of the Anointed. And the message this morning is set for us in the nation of Israel, and it's, i got to be honest with you, it's at a pivotal time in their national history. If we were to assess the situation honestly, Israel at this point is in a desperate situation. The great king experiment, and some of the, I'll give you a bit of context here as we get started, but the great king experiment of chapter 8, which had begun just a few years earlier, had turned out to be a dismal failure. 
The short story is this, is that uh, Israel had come to Samuel, who at this point was the prophet. He was uh, also operating really as a judge in the nation. And the people had come to him and they said, Samuel, you're old. Which, by the way, that's never a way to start a conversation if you want to get your way, okay? And they come to him and they say, you are old and your sons, unfortunately his sons, were not following after the Lord. And so they said to him, they said, because of this, because you're old, because of uh, your sons, we want to have a king like the other nations all around us. Now, up until at this point, Israel, of course, had been led primarily, was supposed to be led by God, right? Say with me, all right? They're supposed to be led by God. And of course, there were some judges and prophets and those that God used to uh, lead the people, but ultimately, God was to be their king. But now we have the people coming to him with seemingly maybe a harmless request, and they say that we would like to have our own king. But I want you to uh, just remember back that they did not ask for a godly king. They were very specific. They did not ask for a king that would uh, follow after the Lord and a king that uh, God could use in a mighty way. What did they say? They said, we want a king like the other nations. Do you remember that? Back in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. They said, we want a king like the other nations. Now, the problem with that is that who are the other nations around them? They were pagan, weren't they? In fact, many of them very specifically were intent on destroying Israel, and they said, we want a king just like everybody else. We want to be like, in essence, you could say, we want to be like the world all around us. Now for Samuel, who at this point was in his 80s, so yes, he was old, he tried to reason with him. He tried to challenge him. He said, listen, if you get a king, he's going to tax you. He's going to constrict your, your sons into a military use. He's going to use your, your, your sons and your daughters. They're going to be his servants and his slaves. And, and after all that, they didn't really care. They just still insisted. And so what we see is God allowing Israel to get what they wanted, which was to have a king just like the other nations. And sure enough, just like if you and I pursue something out of the will of God, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself suffering at the hand of your own desires. And that's what we see here with Israel. They are suffering at the hand of an increasingly wicked king. His name, of course, was Saul. Now, Saul came from a good family. He really did. It says uh, that his father was a man of great power. And, it, and then Saul himself was described as a man who was handsome. It's funny, in the passage, it describes him as handsome twice. Uh, so many times I was like, man, this guy who wrote this really was kind of into Saul, maybe a little bit, I don't know. He's like, man, he's a good-looking dude, you know? Uh, he, was, he was two times handsome. I mean, he was, he was also, we know, he was taller than everybody else. And by all accounts, I mean, this was the guy that if you wanted him to be the king over your nation, he was taller than everybody. He was so good-looking, you know? Oh, I'll stop on that. He was really good-looking, and, uh, and they loved him. This is the guy. This is going to be the guy that's going to be our king, and, and everything's going to be fantastic. But despite his outward promise, understand this, guys. Despite his outward promise, and really, he had a good start, he very quickly fell into a pattern of unrighteous decisions. He fell into a pattern of sin. Regularly, Saul dismissed godly counsel that was given to him. Regularly, he ignored Samuel's counsel. And it led to just a pattern in his life of sinful decision after sinful decision after sinful decision. He was so erratic oftentimes in his decision-making but the core of the issue here was that Saul did not want to listen to anybody else. You could say that the power had gone to his head, and like so many people who find themselves in positions of power, uh, it goes to their head, and the influence uh, really takes over their thought process, and they begin to feel like they're untouchable, and that everything they do is the right thing, and no one has the right to speak into their lives at all, right? Kind of like my dorm supervisor. Okay, no. <laughs> when I was in college, none of you now are like that, right? The power had gone to his head, and he didn't want to listen. Sorry, that was a low blow. I apologize about that. <laughs> this was Saul. 
He had been given this privileged position, but he was not stewarding it well. He did not surround himself with godly counsel except when he found himself in trouble, and even then, he often went directly against that counsel. And so, just a few years into his reign, we see him make a decision, what we're going to cover this morning. He makes a decision that ultimately is going to be, going to be a direct disobedience against a direct command from God, and ultimately, it's going to cost him the kingdom and his ability to lead Israel into fulfilling their purpose. Now, the spiral or the bottom of the spiral that we're going to see today did not just start in this passage. It happened throughout time. I believe it even began before he became king. This was a pattern of thinking and a pattern of, way, of the way that he approached life. But what we're going to see this morning is the culmination of a life that is marked by disobedience to God. And in many respects, the message this morning is a cautionary tale for us. I want you to mark that down. This morning is a cautionary tale because it is a story of a man who was appointed by God, anointed by God, given a favorable position, yet because of his own disregard and disobedience of the Lord, he lost his ability and he lost his effectiveness for the very one who had called him. Now, you and I are not King Saul today. We understand that. But here's what I do understand is that God has given to each of you and to myself a very specific calling and a purpose for living. And as we look at this story of King Saul, I want you to think about the fact that God has given you a tremendous blessing just even in being here at school, having the opportunity to have a leg up on others in the areas of spiritual leadership. And for those of you that you feel God has called you to full-time Christian ministry, understand the privilege that it is, but you also have to understand, and what we're going to see is that by your own actions and by your own decision-making, you can absolutely squander the privilege that has been given to you. My prayer today is that we'd simply renew our desire to live a life of obedience to God and not find ourselves and stop, if you want to put it this way, stop the spiral, the downward spiral that we're going to see here of a life of sin. Because if you're going to faithfully fulfill God's calling in your life, at some point, you're going to have to determine that I'm just simply going to obey God and I'm always going to do the right thing no matter what. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. We'll get into the bulk of the message. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, and I thank you for these stories that you've left for our understanding and for our knowledge so that, Lord, we can even look at a story like this of of a downward spiral of somebody who squandered the privilege of ministry and the privilege of leading your people. And God, we can learn from it and we can determine in our own hearts to not make those same decisions. I pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would stir up in us areas of of sin, that you would stir up in us areas of pride, areas of our life that maybe no one else even knows about, but it's already begun a pattern in our lives that's going to ultimately lead to us losing our influence for you. And God, I desperately want to see this group of men and women here thriving and in just a few years leading people not only to a saving knowledge of you but truly discipling and bringing them up and teaching them the things that they've also learned here at this place but god is going to take a determination and a decision to really want to live for you and i pray that this morning you would speak to us as you can in your name we pray amen as we begin in first samuel chapter 15 Uh, God, I'll give you a little bit more context here. I know I'm describing the whole thing, but at the beginning part of the chapter here, God tells uh, Samuel to go to Saul and tell him that it's time to go to war against the Amalekites. 
And it not only just go to war against them, but it's time to completely destroy them. It's interesting that this uh, specific judgment on the Amalekites is in fulfillment of a prophecy that we read about later on in Deuteronomy. And, it, and the purpose of it is to fulfill something that God said back in, uh, back in that, that time because the Amalekites were somebody who, when Israel was leaving Egypt, it's kind of an interesting story, as they were leaving Egypt, the Amalekites took advantage of the fact that at the back of the, uh, it's not really a train, but I guess the, the group of Israelites that were going, which of course was uh, some two million strong, we believe at this point, uh, at the very end, those that were sort of bringing up the backside of it were those that were tired and sick and elderly. Uh, Sometimes even the disabled were there. And the Amalekites took advantage of that fact, and they actually attacked the rear of the Israelites, and they really slaughtered many people. God took notice of that, and he says that one day they would receive judgment for it. And so this is what we see right here, where God uses Israel to execute his judgment upon the Amalekites for their sin against his people. Now, the story starts out really good. Saul gets up, and he goes, and he gathers the people for the attack. And there's even a small moment of justice where you feel like there's a little bit of hope uh, for Saul, where he tells a group of people called the Kenites that are in the city, he sends message to them, and he says, listen, you've been kind to Israel. There was a kindness uh, and some generosity to Israel in the past. And he says, you've been kind to us. And so I'm just telling you, I'm about to come in and wipe out this city. And he gave them a warning so they have an opportunity to go. And for me, that's a great moment of justice. And I think, wow, maybe, maybe Saul is starting to really uh, come around. But then we come to verse number 7. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 7, it says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and his people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So the command is given here, you've got to destroy all of them, everyone, uh, the, the entire area, the entire nation. But just within the first few verses, what do we see here? We see a half-hearted obedience from Saul. The verb there in verse number nine where it says that he spared uh, gives to us the implication that even though uh, the people were, were mentioned here, it says the people, the implication is that the main instigator of the disobedience was in fact Saul. And so now here we have the king, and we have him making this decision. God told him very specifically, I want you to go, and I want you to destroy every one of the Amalekites. And yet here we see him sparing the king and also some animals. You say, why would Saul do that? Well, it's because there was already an established pattern in his life of half obedience or disobedience to God. And that brings me to my first thought this morning. My first thought this morning is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Sin gets easier the more you sin. Write this down. This is super simple today. Super simple this morning. Sin gets easier the more that you sin. See, almost from the very beginning of Saul's reign, he was always trying to find ways around full obedience. Even just months into his reign, there was a pattern of partial obedience or not obeying at all being established. He often followed his heart or what he thought he should do or what he wanted to do rather than the direction of the Lord. And so over time, he became accustomed to not always obeying the Lord. He thought he could get away with it. And honestly, he really did over and over and over again. But now we have him disobeying this direct command from God. And I, and I know this, but we, we often forget it. The Lord knows all things, right? The Lord knows all things. And so he speaks to Samuel, and he tells Samuel to go and speak to him. And Samuel, honestly, is pretty upset. Look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, now I want you to notice the language here. So Samuel knows, he knows that he did not obey. And look how he, well, how he responds. Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. 
I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Can you just hear his voice there? He says, blessed, hey, Samuel, you are the man. I just want you to know I obeyed God. I did what I was supposed to do. And Samuel then responds to him. I think this is the, one of the most epic uh, responses. Well, what means then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? I mean, think about this for a moment. How ridiculous is this that, that, that Samuel, when he comes to Saul to correct him, that Saul says, hey, I just want you to know I did everything that God wanted me to do. And it's like, eh, 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 right? you, know, you, can, you can hear it like right there. I mean, that's what he said. Samuel said, he says, I can hear, I can literally hear the, the noise of your sin. I can literally hear it. And, and then he even repeats his lie after Samuel calls him on it. Look at, down to verse number 19. He said, wherefore then, didst thou not obey the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? He says, why did you do this? Why did you disobey God? And Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I mean, this guy's crazy. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now you might be thinking, how, how idiotic is this guy? I mean, honestly, I read this, I get really upset. Like, this guy is, is dense. He's got problems here. How does he get to this point where literally he disobeyed God, everyone knows it, he's been confronted with his sin, and he still says, I'm obeying God? How does he get to that point? I think David maybe had a good reflection on this later on. Turn with me to Psalm 36. I want you to see this. Psalm 36 and verse number one. I don't know if David, in reflection of the story of Saul later on, wrote this, but he says, The transgression of the wicked, in verse 1, saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself with his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Man, what a description of where Saul was at this point. And this is where Saul is, that he could look the prophet of God in the eye and say, I obeyed God, even though the evidence of his lie is within smell and within earshot, for sure. Listen, this is the result of continued sin. Because the more that you sin, the easier it is, and the easier it is, the more you convince yourself that it's okay. Now, while you and I are hearing this story and we're learning about it together, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, I have to shake my head at Saul's audacity. But you and I are not off the hook at all. I mean, how many of us show up to worship services every week or show up here to chapel every week and we sing a song, you know, and we give it a good old like, hey, man, right? It's the college, amen. That's, at least it wasn't. Sorry, maybe that's been retired. But we sing these songs and we look all right and everybody thinks everything's okay and, you know, we're all right with God here in this room, right? Everybody's got it all figured out. Yet the evidence of our disobedience is all around us. Now, it may not be visible to others, but it's certainly loud and clear in your heart and in your mind. And you, as you stand there and as you sing and as you shake hands and as you smile and you sit in your class and you write down your notes and you tell everyone praise God and you see all of this stuff happening inside, you're screaming because of your own hypocrisy. 
but yet what are you doing publicly? You're convincing everyone, and in some ways you try to convince yourself that it's all good, that I've got it all figured out. See, what happens is that if you're not careful, the more that you do that, as time passes, you'll eventually find yourself saying and doing things that you never thought you were capable of. Because a pattern of disobedience will always lead you to places you never thought you would go. And that's what we see here with Saul. He is openly, openly defying God and the prophet of God, even though the evidence of his sin and his disobedience is right there. Now we're gonna see, and let's continue with a second thought. Sin gets easier the more you sin, but secondly, we see in this passage here, sin always has an excuse. Notice that. Now Saul, he's confronted by Samuel, and he's going to repent, right? He's going to make things right with God. Well, no, he doesn't. He just begins to spit kind of like a revisionist history, and he goes so far here as to spiritualize his sin, saying that he saved the animals for sacrifice. Look at back at verse 15. And Saul said, uh, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spread the best of the sheep and of the oxen, or spared, sorry, the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. What he's saying here is that he disobeyed God to honor God. Do you notice that? Do you see it? I disobeyed God to honor God. I, I, I remember one time in college, uh, one of our uh, college leaders who's still here uh, in this room right now told me, he said, Paul, it's never right to do wrong to do right. <laughs> you remember that, Brother Weaver? You probably don't remember that. Now, I was right. I just want you to know, okay? I was really right. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, but but that's, a, that's a true statement that we need to remember. He's trying to, he's trying to spiritualize his sin here. And the mental gymnastics that he goes through to me is ridiculous, but we do the same thing, don't we? We do it all the time. Let's be real for a moment. Let's be real for a moment. How often do we justify our sin in the name of, I'm in Bible college preparing for ministry? God should be happy with that, right? So this little this little thing I've got over here, it's gonna be okay. I can live, I can operate with this sin in my life because hey, one day I'm gonna serve the Lord, right? Think about it for a moment. I'm not, I'm not saying this today out of ignorance. This is, this is how it is. This is the battle you're gonna fight the rest of your life and especially the rest of your ministry. Can I tell you, this is about as easy as it gets right now. When we're talking about spiritual warfare and attacks, I told, I told somebody, they said, how's church planning? I said, that's the, most, that's the most spiritual oppression and attack I've ever experienced in my entire life, and it's continuous, and it doesn't end. You know, ministry is awesome, and it's tons of fun, and you see so much victory, but the battle within is real. It is real. Because our adversary knows if he can take you down, there's gonna be a swath of people behind you. And we've gotta stop lying to ourselves. We've gotta stop trying to convince ourselves that, you know, my pornography addiction is manageable. It's manageable. We've gotta stop convincing ourselves that, you know what, I, I, this, this bitterness in my heart from my past this bitterness from that past relationship, that person, that, that family member, that thing that happened to me, that bitterness that you are just holding on to, that you're unwilling to give up. In fact, you've convinced yourself that God is using you as a method of judgment upon that person. <laughs> and you're justifying that. 
rather than truly seeking forgiveness and healing through Christ. I'm not going to keep going. I can go on and on. There are so many things, but we justify ourselves, don't we? We always have an excuse. You know, I'm not going to give obediently while I'm in college because I'm paying my college bill, right? That one hits a little bit, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be faithful to God in giving because, you know, I've got to pay my school bill, and so I'm just not going to obey God in that way. That's a simple one. You can probably fill in the blanks. But this is the depth that our hearts go into when we truly are not. And what it reveals is that we're not really interested in obeying God. Here's the problem. Too many of us view God as our lucky charm. We view God as someone that we can manipulate to do what we want to do as long as we only do part of what he wants us to do. And so we have this idea that we can manipulate him, and, and as long as I'm okay, I'll pray really hard right before I preach, but I'm not going to take care of that one thing. I'm going to confess my sin before I have to do a ministry thing, right? But then I'm going to go right back into that sin again. And, uh, and then God's going to bless that ministry. And man, pray. And you know what? It's amazing is that God uses us despite ourselves. And that's so amazing. I love that about God, right? You know, people do get saved. And uh, things happen. I mean, you guys just came off of an Easter uh, service. And, but the problem is, is that in our own uh, sinful hearts, we then try to justify that and say, well, see, look, God is still doing that. And therefore, it's still okay for me to have this thing in my life. And we use even the blessings of God, undeserved blessings of God, as an excuse for continued sin. And this is the life of Saul. He's trying to blend his own will, his sinful desires, his, his unwillingness to follow God, and God is not impressed. And so through Samuel, God finally has enough, and he makes it very clear. Look with me at verse 10. And then the word of the Lord came unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. God is expressing emotion here over this situation. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. Look, Samuel is grieved by this sin. And it says that he cried unto the Lord all night. You know what? He wasn't just crying for himself. He was begging God. He says, God, preserve this. Preserve this thing. Skip down to verse 22. And Samuel said later on when he's confronting him, he says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. To me, this is an, an epic, <laughs> epic situation here. To God, the rebellion that you live in is as the sin of witchcraft. Disobedience is pagan to God. Think about that for a moment. It's pagan. Look at verse 23, again, the second part of the verse there. He says, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Verse 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee. I want you to notice all these key phrases, okay? Rejection, rejection, God is done. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, notice what happens. He, that Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. The third thought from this passage I want you to see here is that sin has a bitter end. Sin has a bitter end. You know, Saul thought he was untouchable. 
He had gotten away with his half obedience and doing his own thing on the side. He still thought that I'm, an, I'm anointed king and so therefore I can do whatever I want and it doesn't really matter what uh, God tells me to do. It doesn't really matter what that old man Samuel tells me to do. Uh, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, he says I can do what I want and so he thought he was untouchable. He thought that I've been chosen to lead the nation. I could do whatever I want but he's living proof of Proverbs 16, 25 that says there's a way that seemeth right unto the man but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so we see this kind of epic scene where Samuel comes and he comes and he says, you're rejected, you know. And, and as he's walking away, uh, Saul grabs, you know, and he tears his, his, uh, his, his mantle or whatever, this piece of clothing that he's wearing. And uh, by the way, this is like the most cinematic, epic moment, I think, one of them in Scripture, you know. As he like tears it and it's all slow motion, like, you know. You know okay, I see it all the time. But anyway, you don't see it. That's okay. And he rips it, you know, and he, and he falls, and then Samuel turns, and he's like, just like you tore my nice coat, right? God's going to take away. My mom gave me this, right? Oh, that's a little way back in Scripture. Okay. <clears throat> God's going to take the kingdom away from you. It's interesting. In verse 24 and verse 25, even when it seemed that there was a moment that Saul was going to repent, the reality was is that it was not a genuine repentance, and the reason was, and the reason we say that is because there was no change in his life. What you find later on as you study Saul, he said, I repent, I repent, I want you to come with me. That's why it says there uh, that Samuel says, I'm not going to go with you. The reason he was repenting was because he wanted Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice and have a celebration because only the high priest could, could authorize that for the king. And so again, it's still it's all about him, right? I want to have this big celebration over our victory of the Amalekites. Uh, Samuel, I need you to come with me and make sure that you, you do this. He's the only one who could do it. And that's the only reason he's repenting because it's still all about himself. But yet what we see here is that there is a bitter end to his sin. God knew his true heart, and so the beginning of the end of his reign starts here. And even though he remained as king for a while, what we're going to read about, if you continue in the passage there, is that the Spirit of God is removed from him. And really, he's a powerless king going forward because God knew his heart. And the testimony of Saul going forward was one of mental anguish, of vengeance, and of disgrace. You've probably heard this quote before. But sin will take you farther than you want to go. How many of you heard this? Come on, put it up. <clears throat> How many of you tattooed it on your arm? Okay, all right. I don't recommend it. It's a, long, it's a long quote. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. You say, man, why are you talking about sin? We're in Bible college. We all got it figured out, right? <clears throat> you know, when I graduated here, yeah, it's been a while, 2005, 2005. A lot of the rules that you have were thanks to me, so you have a lot to thank for me. It was the Wild West back then. It was awesome. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> 2005, I graduated, and I sat here, and I don't know if you still do this or not, but I, I remember it so distinctly sitting there with the graduating class, and I don't remember if it was you, Dr. Gatch, or somebody who said, he looked at us and he says, I want you to look to the person, you know, in your row and look around. And, and the idea was this. He said, the majority of those people are not going to be in ministry in 10 years. And I remember thinking, whatever. <laughs> you know, well, you didn't know what he was talking about. We, we've got this, right? We are brothers. Like, we have Facebook. We can stay in connection, right? You know, that's why Facebook's an old person thing. You know, we can, we can stay connected. We're going to encourage each other. And we're all, it's going to be awesome. And you know what? That is probably one of the most true things I've ever heard. 
uh, except for the gospel, right? <laughs> That's pretty true. Um, but man, that stuck with me. And here's, here's the reality of it. It's true. And how sad is it now that I'm here, you know, 18 years or whatever it is, it's a long time, out of, out of college and the amount of people that I can name that are still in ministry that I graduated with is, I mean, it's, it's so small. It's so small. And I have to ask myself that question, well, why? Why is that? What is it that brought about the string of affairs, immorality, murder? I'm not joking about that one. Murder, theft. All of these things that led to lost testimonies, destructions of ministries, destroyed marriages, damaged children, what was it? Sin. It's sin. And it took them places that they never thought they'd go. And I'm here to tell you this morning that it can do the same thing to you. It will do the same thing to you unless, unless you determine this is not going to be my testimony and I'm going to get right the things that need to be made right with God. I'm going to tell you, disobedience to God, it does not bring peace. It does not bring joy. And even like Saul here, one of the wonderful things about our God is that he will always give us an opportunity to repent. He will always give you an opportunity to make things right. That brings me to my final thought this morning, which is sin always has a way out. I love this. Look at verse 16 with me. Sin always has a way out. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Go ahead, <laughs> say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee over Israel? You say, this doesn't look much like an opportunity to repent. Here's what I want us to notice. In the middle of this whole situation, in the middle of all of the frustration and difficulty that Samuel was going through and that Saul was leading the people into, Samuel comes to Saul and he reminds him, I want you to remind you of something. God made you something when you were a nobody. That's what he says. He says, Saul, do you remember when you were just a little kid? You know, working with your family and you're, uh, you're, you know, your dad, was, he was kind of a big deal, but you were, you were a nobody. And do you remember how God anointed you and how God gave you this privilege and God made you a king. What is he trying to get across to us? I see here a beautiful picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. Here's what I mean by that. He revealed to him and he reminded him of God's grace in his life. How he had brought him from nothing to something. And that's really what the gospel is all about. It is God's grace. We who are wicked and desperate and rebels and desperately trying to live in our own flesh, but yet God in his great mercy loved us and gave himself for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him through his grace, through his grace. And what he's doing here is reminding him of the fact that you do not deserve what you have. And I wanna remind all of us, and this is the attitude that you have to take into ministry, and I believe this with all my heart, 
that we do not deserve this great calling that God has given to us. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. And if you start to think that you are the reason for the privilege, you've already begun down that slope. And Saul, uh, Paul, uh, Samuel here comes to Saul and he gives him this opportunity. He says, remember. He says, I want you to remember what God has done for you. It was an opportunity for him to repent and to be thankful for the grace that God had placed into his life. See, it's because in Christ we are free from the penalty and the bondage of sin. This was so wonderful is that we can confess our sins. And God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We love that verse so much. It's one of the first verses we learned to quote maybe in Sunday school as a kid growing up. But it's something we must be reminded of, that even if you are right now feeling as if you are drowning in your sin, you can always get things right. And God always gives us an opportunity to repent and to get right with him. And you know what? Maybe today is that day for some of you. I realize that coming in here and like preaching a message on sin, that's not like a super fun thing to talk about. Uh, but we need it. We need it. And, and I know that I maybe have not seen incredible things happen, although I would say in our ministry I've seen amazing things happen for the Lord, but the one thing I can tell you is this, is that I personally have to remain right with God at all costs at any moment. I must remain right with him. Because God will correct us, he will give us an opportunity to get right, and maybe that is for you today. Because this is, the, this is not just about getting through school without getting kicked out. Although some struggle with even that, right? <laughs> struggle to stay in school. <laughs> this is about the longevity of your ministry. And if you believe you are called, if you believe that God has led you to this place to train, to minister for the long haul, then you're going to have to stop that cycle that you're in right now. I don't know you, and you, you don't really know me, but I know the hearts. I know my heart. I know the struggles. I know the challenges, the temptations that you're going to be faced with. I know what you're facing right now. You guys face some challenges and temptations that I never had even when I was in school. But here's what I do know is that there's always a time to repent and get right with God and come back to him. And so I ask you today to choose righteousness, to choose repentance. See, God does not want our rationalizations. He doesn't want that from us. He doesn't want our sacrifices, he wants our submission to him. Now the choice is passed for Saul, but it's still there for us today. And really we're standing between a choice of self-deception to continue on the way that you are, continue to think that, hey, I've, I've got it figured out and everything I've, I've got going on over here is manageable, it's gonna be okay, it's not gonna affect me long-term, it's not gonna make a difference in my relationships or, oh, hey, when I get married, this'll be fixed, right? No, no, no. God doesn't want us to operate in that self-deception. He wants us to choose repentance. And that's my call to you this morning. Would you repent?